of 2 Samuel, where we've been for several weeks now. This week we're going to be in chapters 9 and 10. Uh, I'm not going to read you both of those chapters, but I would like to read you verses 1 through 8 of chapter 9. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. You can turn there in your Bible, or the words will be on the screen for you. David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? May God bless the reading of his word among us as we meet him there in just a moment. And now I'd like to ask our worship team to talk about again God's grace, God's amazing grace here in this passage. When you think of that word grace, maybe you think of somebody who's light on their feet, they're graceful, right? They might be light on their feet, or maybe you think of a grace period where your, uh, your creditors extend the, the time that you have to be able to pay your bills. Um, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about biblical grace, unmerited favor, undeserved or unearned kindness, receiving that good thing that you do not res- uh, deserve. And we see two really great examples of that in this passage And also two really great uh, examples of responses to grace in this passage in chapters 9 and 10. And this might seem like a bit of an obscure passage of Scripture, but i got to tell you, I've been chomping at the bit to get to this passage. I love this story of Mephibosheth because it shows us God's grace. It's a very clear illustration of what grace looks like. And as Christians, of course, grace is pretty important to us because we believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And as we read earlier in the service, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God to you. So grace is foundational to how our salvation as Christian works, if you will. In this obscure passage in 2 Samuel 9 and 10, we see how grace works. And we're going to see it first here in the life of a man named Mephibosheth. Now, I think he wins the award for the funnest name to say in the Bible. Let's try saying it together, okay? Mephibosheth. Ready? Mephibosheth. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say that. So that was, that was fun. Thanks for that. Uh, but Mephibosheth shows us what God's grace looks like. And again, for you parents who might be having a child soon, a male child soon, you're looking for a creative, unique name, you could always go with Mephibosheth if you want. Um, but as we see grace work in the life of Mephibosheth, there's something very important we need to remember. I think we are to see ourselves 
in this man named Mephibosheth. Oh, I just stumbled over it there. He is to act as a mirror that we are to look into to see ourselves. Now, who is Mephibosheth? Well, he is the son of Jonathan. You remember Jonathan, right? Back from 1 Samuel, he and David were best friends. Even though Jonathan's father, Saul, wanted to kill David, and Jonathan knew that his dad's time as king was coming to an end and that David would eventually assume the throne of Israel. So he and David made a covenant together. Now what is that? Well, a covenant is like a, a binding promise. This is back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. It says this, Jonathan says to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. So David and Jonathan pledged their covenantal love and loyalty to one another for all generations. But then, of course, Jonathan is killed in battle, which we talked about just a few weeks ago. And now David has become king, and we are first introduced to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, back in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. If you want to, you can flip back to chapter 4 quickly. Chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Samuel where this is the first indication we get of Mephibosheth. It says in verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So Jonathan has a son who is five years old when Jonathan is killed in battle. And his nurse picks him up, she runs out of the house, she falls while carrying him, and he becomes permanently disabled as a result. Now, the world today is a challenging place for people with disabilities, because quite simply, the world isn't built for them. It's built for able-bodied people, and they tend to even be treated differently, as different or strange or unknown even. But I got to think the world of David's day was probably even worse for people with disabilities. For someone like Mephibosheth, if he was disabled in his feet to the extent that he couldn't walk, well then, he can't work. He can't fight in the army. Really, all he is as a disabled person is a liability, right? Another mouth to feed that doesn't contribute and can't even provide for himself or help to defend the nation. So Mephibosheth has gone from the grandson of the king to a dependent invalid living on the current king's presumed hit list. It's no wonder then that when David is looking for him, Mephibosheth is nowhere to be found. Go back to chapter 9 and look at verse 4. The king says, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Now Mephibosheth is living with someone else because he wouldn't be able to sustain himself because of his disability. But it also says that he's living at a place called Lo-Debar, which is a Hebrew word that literally means no pasture land. Or in other words, a wasteland. So Mephibosheth has moved to a wasteland probably because it was far away from everybody else and because it would be a place where David wouldn't think to look for him. I'm sure that Mephibosheth wanted nothing to do with David. After all, he was the next closest heir to Saul's throne. And if anyone was going to take up Saul's claim to the throne, it probably would have been, by right, Mephibosheth. 
And David obviously wasn't going to allow that. In fact, reason would say that David should kill Mephibosheth just to protect his own interests. So Mephibosheth was almost certainly trying to stay as far away from David as he could for fear for his life. But then David comes calling. But not for the reason that Mephibosheth thinks. If you look back at verse 1, David says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now why? Why would David want to show kindness to Saul's family? Well, he says it, for Jonathan's sake. You see, David remembers that he made this covenant with Jonathan to love him as his own soul and to deal justly with Jonathan's descendants even after David became king. And it's faithfulness to this covenant that inspires David to show kindness to Saul's relatives. That's the only reason David wants to show kindness to Saul's family. They certainly haven't done anything to earn David's kindness, including Mephibosheth. He's never done anything for David that would earn David's respect or kindness. In fact, Saul's family undoubtedly did everything they could to kill David in the not-too-distant past. David doesn't owe them kindness. He doesn't owe them anything, really, but retribution from a human perspective. But he has chosen kindness because of this covenant that he has made, this promise bound by his honor and reputation as a man and as a good king. So look at verse 2. It says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. Now, What do you think Mephibosheth expected to come out of David's mouth next? I imagine that as he was there, bowed with his face to the ground before David, he probably expected a sword to come down on the back of his neck and take off his head. Again, after all, David owed him nothing, nothing but really contempt. But that's not what happens. Verse 7, David says to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Mephibosheth went to see David, expecting probably to be executed, and he left there one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem because David restored to him all of Saul's lands and properties, which was the same thing as money in those days. And more than that, Mephibosheth would be eating at the table of the king for the rest of his life. Now in the next verses, David assigns all of Saul's former servants to now be servants of Mephibosheth. They're going to work his fields. They're going to oversee his property so that he can be cared for and fed, even though he will actually be eating at David's table. And by inviting Mephibosheth to his table, David was symbolically adopting him into his own family. From now on, Mephibosheth will be under David's care and protection. Now folks, that is shocking, scandalous grace. 
After all, again, David didn't owe Mephibosheth anything. And Mephibosheth didn't do anything to deserve David's kindness. But that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. David's kindness to Mephibosheth wasn't based on who he was because he's the grandson of his mortal enemy, the last of Saul's house, the last claimant to Saul's throne. So he wasn't kind to him because of who he was. He wasn't kind to him based on Mephibosheth's appearance or ability. After all, he was considered less than. He was disabled. He was a liability. There was nothing he could do for David, and there would be no way for him to ever repay David's kindness. David's kindness to Mephibosheth was based on a promise, a promise he made to Jonathan to be good to his descendants. You see, grace has no qualifiers precisely because it is unmerited, it is undeserved. Now, do you remember that I said the point of this story is for you to see yourself in Mephibosheth, to see him as like a mirror that you're looking into to see yourself? Trust me, you don't realize how much you have in common with Mephibosheth and how much you, like him, need grace. Mephibosheth was disabled. He couldn't do anything to help himself. And as you look into that mirror, you should see that you are spiritually disabled. There's nothing that you can do to help yourself. You are born into sin, and that sin colors everything you do and say and think. Mephibosheth lived far away from the king because he wanted to be out of sight, right? He wanted to stay hidden from the king. And as you look into that mirror, you should see that you have lived far away from your king, the Lord, to try and stay out of his sight. Because as we talked about as recently as last week, his holiness and your sin just don't mix. And you know that if you ever see the king, there's going to be trouble. So you try to stay hidden. Like Mephibosheth, you're a nobody at best and the king's mortal enemy at worst. Mephibosheth comes from a lineage that is constantly at war with the king. And as you look into that mirror, you should see that you also are at war because you come from your father, Adam, and you have inherited his sinful nature. So you come from a lineage that is constantly at war with your king. Mephibosheth was someone who deserved nothing but scorn. You as you look into that mirror, should see that you deserve the same as a result of your sin against the king. But, in spite of everything that was stacked against him, Mephibosheth was someone who was sought out by the king. And as you look into that mirror, you should see that you, and in spite of everything you have done, the king of kings is seeking you out. Mephibosheth was given a seat at the king's table and he was brought into his family. And as you look into that mirror, you should see someone that God wants to take, to bring to his table and to bring into and adopt into his family. Mephibosheth could also trust that this promise that David made to him to give him all of these things and all this grace, it wasn't a promise that he would go back on. It wasn't a promise that David was going to break. He wasn't going to change his mind and suddenly make Mephibosheth an enemy again. And the reason for this was that covenant he made with Jonathan. And as you look into that mirror, you can be certain that God is not going to change his mind because of the covenant that he has made with himself. God has promised to save all those who would come to him through faith. 
And through their faith, he would shower them with his grace. He would give them everlasting life, an eternal reward, a seat at his table. He would adopt them into his family as sons. Do you see how Mephibosheth is a mirror that we can look into and see ourselves, see our sin, see our, our, our inability to measure up, but also see how the king has invited us to his table. And there, of course, are some details between his story and ours that are different, but who we are in comparison with him is virtually the same as we stand before the king. The only thing that you don't necessarily have in common with Mephibosheth by your nature is your response to this grace that has been offered. Your response is not part of your nature. Because this offer of grace goes out to all people. God has covenanted to give his saving grace to anyone who calls out to him in faith. And to access that faith, we must all respond individually. And as you might expect responses vary. Now, look how Mephibosheth responds to this offer of grace that David has given to him. In verse 8, he pays homage and he says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You see, Mephibosheth knows that he has done nothing to deserve David's favor. He knows that he actually technically deserves death but is instead being given undeserved kindness. He realizes his unworthiness, and so he graciously accepts David's offer of grace, and he trusts in David to the commitment that he has made through this covenant. And this, again, is the perfect example of how we are to respond to God's undeserved kindness towards us, to save us from our sin, to bring us into his family by realizing how unworthy we are And by trusting him to be true to his covenant, to do what he said he will do to save us, that's the response that God wants you to have to this offer of grace. But of course, it's not the response that people always give. Some people are too proud to receive kindness because they perceive it as charity. Some people refuse to admit that they are unworthy and they think very highly of themselves and that God actually owes them kindness and not realizing their sin, not realizing their unworthiness, but yeah, this is what God owes me because of who I am. Some people think they know better than God or they're more powerful than God or that they are God, so they reject God's offer of grace. And this is actually what we see, I think, in chapter 10. Again, David extends kindness to someone that he in no way is obligated to be kind to. Look at verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1. It says, After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally, loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father, And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. Now we learn here that David has had a civil relationship with this king named Nahash, king of the Ammonites. But Nahash has died. Now that is an incredibly important detail here because the modus operandi of the day would have been to jump in and fill that power vacuum, right? I mean, if a king dies, then his kingdom is weak and can potentially be overtaken by a neighboring kingdom. And certainly that was one of David's options when this king dies. And then Hanun, Nahash's son, comes into power. 
David doesn't know him. He doesn't have any relationship with him. He doesn't have any political or personal obligation to him. Hanun was an annoyance at best and a real threat to David's stability at worst. Reason would say, I think, that the smart thing for David to do would have been to take him out. But rather than take advantage of the kingdom's weakness and this new king's inexperience, David decides to show kindness to extend grace to this new king by sending his messengers to console Hanun, probably by giving him you know, some kind of gifts or maybe a trade agreement or a treaty or something like that. Now, Mephibosheth, when we saw David's extension of grace to him, he humbly accepted David's offer of grace. And he said, you know, how could you even do this for a dead dog such as me? And in other words, I don't deserve this and I will absolutely take your offer. But this Hanun... It's going to reject David's offer. Look at verse 3. It says, But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you, uh, to, to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants, shaved off half their beard of each, and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips, and sent them away. Pretty embarrassing for those servants of David. Now, do you see what happens here? Hanun, this king, he interprets David's offer of grace as a threat to his autonomy and his personal sovereignty, his ability to rule his own kingdom. You see, if Hanun accepts David's offer of grace, he thinks that he's going to be indebted to him in some way, or that accepting David's grace will lead David to take over the kingdom of Hanun and also his life, and he's not going to get to be his own king anymore. Now, that was not David's intention, of course, but it again illustrates another possible response to grace when it is offered. We saw how Mephibosheth responded, and now Hanun, how he responds, he rejects David's offer of kindness for fear that accepting it will upset his own kingdom. And that is another very real response that people have to God's grace in the gospel even today. If I accept God's offer of grace, I'm not going to be able to live my life the way I want to. And when it comes to the gospel, which demands repentance and faith, that's just a bridge too far for some people because they love their sin. I think I've mentioned before that I listen to a podcast quite frequently called Wretched Radio. Actually, the, the title of the podcast is a reference to Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. And this is Wretched Radio is what this podcast is called. And every Wednesday on this podcast, the host goes out to a local university campus and he finds some university students that are maybe just sitting down or taking a break. And he sits down and he records a conversation with them in which he shares the gospel with these students. And there was a time when he was talking to a student who was just sitting on the bench and they started out by making some small talk and then they started to talk about spiritual things. And as the conversation went on, it became clear that this student that the host was talking to had quite a bit of sexual sin that he was living in. But the host just kept sharing the gospel with him. And the more he did, the more this kid became convicted. You could hear it in the, the interview as they're talking. They're just talking, you know, very casually back and forth. But you can hear this kid begin to come under conviction for his sin. And he, wa he actually wants to know, what do I have to do about this? I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner. 
please tell me what do I need to do to be saved until eventually he hears the whole gospel and he was clearly eager to believe it. But then right at the climax of this encounter, all of a sudden this kid asks, but wait, if I trust in Jesus and I follow him, does that mean I'm going to have to give up all that sexual stuff that I've been doing? And the host said, well, what do you think? And the kid said, yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty sure I would have to give that up in order to follow Jesus. And the host said, well, are you willing to do that, to follow Jesus? And it's, you can just hear the silence hanging in the air. And this kid says, no, I'm not. I don't want to give up all that sin I've been in in order to accept this offer of grace. And that was it. He walked away, lost as he ever was. But do you see his response to God's offer of grace? It's very similar to the response of this king, Hanun, to David's offer of grace, because they're interpreting it like this. This grace is a threat to my autonomy, my personal sovereignty. No thanks. In other words, if I follow Jesus, I can't do anymore what I want to do, because I love my sin more than I want the grace of God. Now, in Hanun's case, that offer of kindness that David gave to him and he rejected it, you know what that cost him? It ultimately led to a war with David. And the rest of chapter 10, we're not going to read through it now, but the rest of chapter 10 is all about that war. David comes and offers kindness to Hanun. Hanun says, no, if I accept that, I'm not going to be the kind of king I want to be. So get out. And then they have this war. And uh, the rest of chapter 10 tells us about that. And Hanun, it doesn't go well for him. He is so unable to fight this war that he has created in response to David's grace that he had to get outside help. So he went to the, Assyri- to the Syrians, but even with, his help, or with their help, they still lost. Here's what happened, a little summary of what happened in verse 18. It says, the Assyrians fled before Israel and David killed of the Assyrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. So you see the two responses to grace. David offers grace to Mephibosheth and he says, who am I that I would ever deserve such a thing? And he accepts. David offers grace to Hanun and Hanun says, mm, if I accept that kindness, I'm going to have to change who I am. It's not worth it to me. I want to be my own king. And he sends him away. And then a war starts. Friends, God has extended to you his saving grace. And there are many different ways you can respond, but there's only one right way to respond. And that's by being like Mephibosheth and saying, what am I, Lord, that you would give me such a priceless gift? And the answer is you're nothing. You don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. But because God is good and because he has made a covenant, he wants to give you his grace. He wants to give you life. So don't respond like Hanun. Don't say, oh, well, look at all the ways I'm not going to be able to be my own king now if I take this grace. Look at how, you know, I'm going to have to give up this and that. Friends, I don't care what you have to give up. Whatever it is, it's worth it. You don't know the value of God's grace. Leave it all behind and accept his offer of grace. Come to him like Mephibosheth comes to David and says, what am I? 
I'm a dead dog before this offer you have given to me. So God is extending his grace to you this morning. Respond to it like Mephibosheth. Don't respond like Hanun. Because if you do, like Hanun, you'll be in a war you can't win. Hanun rejected David's kindness and it led to war. Friends, if you, lead, if you reject God's offer of grace, it will lead to a war that you can't win because you're a sinful being and he is a holy God and the two cannot coexist. If God is good, he must judge sin. And he is coming to do that and it will be a war that you cannot win. So take his offer of grace. Respond like Mephibosheth. Put your trust in the one who made the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he will always be true to that covenant. He will care for you and give you life. If you'd like to know more about that or if that's something you'd like to to do, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, please talk to me after the service. I'd love to be able to talk to you or to pray with you or any one of our pastors here or our deacons, I'm sure, would pray with you and talk with you. That offer of grace is there for you this morning. What will you do with it? Respond like Mephibosheth. Let's pray. Our Father of God, we are amazed at your... Our Father God, we are amazed at your grace. We are amazed that you would deign to give such an offer to those who trust in you. Lord, how unworthy we are. God, even the the term a dead dog is not accurate because we are lower than dead dogs. Our sin has separated us so far from you. There is such a gulf between you and us. We could never hope to cross it on our own. But Lord, you have reached out your hand to pull us over that gulf to you. God, I ask that you would Show us the depth of your goodness and kindness through this story and through your word this morning, through your spirit moving in us. Lord, through your spirit convicting us even. If there are people here who have not trusted in you, that they might receive that conviction and that they might see the value, the unlimited value of what has been offered to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help them to cast off all the the sin that might entangle them or snare them up. Help us to see that we are not good kings. And Lord, that our kingdoms will ultimately and always lead to destruction. But yours is a kingdom of life. Help us to see these things, Lord. And to grab on and hold to that amazing grace that you have offered to us. God, we thank you for your grace. Lord, give us a new appreciation for it every day. Lord, as we see it in our daily lives, as we we go about things and all the ways that you provide for us that we don't deserve, Lord, all the ways that you care for us that we don't deserve, Lord, and also and especially the, the way that you have saved those who call out to you in a way that we don't deserve. God, help us to know and love and grasp your amazing grace. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.